Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome everyone to episode 91 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're sharing a topic that often gets neglected, even in our work, which is men's health. With a majority of our listener base and our client base both being female, we end up spending a lot of time on women's health issues and hormones, and we've come to realize that we haven't actually had an episode that is specifically tailored to the dudes. (laughs) Yes, so before we get to episode 100, come hell or high water, this is for you guys. (laughs) All you male listeners. I hear the crickets, but no, all of you male listeners and definitely for the wives and girlfriends and, uh, you know, partners that might be listening and want to share this information to help them implement because we all know ladies that you often have to lead that horse to the water anyway. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So today we'll be covering just a laundry list of topics for the guys from prostate health to hair loss to heart health and athletic performance and beyond. Yes. So we're going to be, of course, digging deep into a whole variety pack of topics, talking about why dysfunction occurs, functional nutrients to consider, and then some supplemental tools and some food as medicine strategies to get you guys feeling the best you have in years and optimize health to thrive in your body. Okay, so jumping right in, and in no particular order, let's talk first about prostate function. So what exactly is PSA? We hear this thrown around as a test that men should run as they start to age, but what is PSA? When or why should we start to worry about this? And let's talk a little bit about what the prostate does, because not all of us know. Sure. So uh, the prostate is quite a small-sized gland that plays a big role in the male reproductive system and connects bladder function as well. So one of its functions is in ejaculation, and also it plays a role with bladder emptying. And so often we talk about like, oh, as men age, they're going to the bathroom more often. Uh, That can be one of the things that we think of as far as prostate dysfunction or um, getting some insufficiency. And PSA, it stands for prostate-specific antigen. This is a screening test that looks at the specific protein that's produced by the prostate gland. And often there is a correlation of it being elevated with prostate cancer. Okay. Awesome. So not awesome, but helpful for sure. Yes. Oh, and and one thing to touch on, I guess, which is also kind of in this world of men's aging. So if uh, PSA is elevated or is not, uh, there can also be beyond prostate cancer concern um, as a benign condition like BPH value, which is the benign prostatic hyperplasia. Basically, this means uh, in a state of uh, prostatitis or inflammation of the prostate or as the prostate gland itself gets enlarged, 
this can cause an elevated PSA without cancer association or risk. And again, as men age, BPH or this, this increase of size, enlargement essentially of the prostate gland, which typically means prostate function is reduced. So less functional ejaculation, less functional bladder regulation. Uh, we see this about 80 to 90% of men in their 70s and older. And we tend to see higher rates in younger population as we see trends of excess estrogen and zinc deficiency. So we'll talk about both of those as we talk about testosterone levels and whatnot. But the role of xenoestrogens, and this is going to be a theme throughout today's episode, the role of synthetic estrogens in our plastics, in our uh, topical products, in our receipts, in our grocery stores, and you name it, um, as well as in our dairy, are playing a dynamic role in men hormone shifts and unfavorable outcomes for aging. Okay, awesome. So that's a really good crash course. And it's, it's wild to think that um, this is so, so common and not talked about nearly enough. Um, so if we see elevated PSA or a man is experiencing symptoms like frequent urination, incomplete bladder emptying, decreased urine flow, what are some things that we can do to get ahead of it? And let's talk about some of the supplements that have been seen in research to help with some of those symptoms. Right, because the, again, the prostate helps in kind of the output, right? So if the bladder's feeling heavy or the flow of urination is not ample, like there's just kind of that trickle effect, uh, which also correlates to that impact with ejaculation. Uh, I'm going to try to not say that word a million times this episode. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got this. I'm not blushing. Um, but, you know, the prostate gland is that kind of outputter, right? So as prostate function declines or as the prostate starts to swell um, or, or is uh, seen to deal with inflammation, we want to think of things that help put out urinary flow um, and compounds that help with balancing out that potential estrogen dominance. So I think the most well-researched compound is saw palmetto. So this can actually improve that, that BPH or that, that benign prostatic hyperplasia or basically, again, enlargement of the prostate gland. Uh, saw palmetto can also lower the PSA count. Uh, and it can help with urinary output and flow. So that can help in terms of quality of life. It can mean deeper qualitative sleep for the man because they're not having to wake multiple times. It can mean enhanced sexual function and uh, also uh, that prostate volume size starts to go down. And uh, dosages have been shown in studies between 250 to 500 milligrams a day to be an effective dosage. So that's something that can be used and often in a synergy with like an antioxidant formula. And when we're looking at mineral focus, zinc is one of the big ones that I, I started to mention because zinc deficiency can trend with low testosterone and zinc deficiency is also trended with estrogen dominance and has been seen specifically as a trend with prostate cancer and BPH. And we'll talk about it as well with hair loss. So there's so many symptoms that zinc can be an influencer of. And uh, zinc is found more in our red meats and it is found also in our shellfish. So this would be a really good time to go for those oysters beyond the libido effect of that structural functional connection of it being uh, an aphrodisiac in, in the way that it's consumed. But uh, oysters are one of the best sources of zinc. 
And supplementing with zinc is also a very safe option because zinc also can help to support mood stability and reduce anxiety. So supplemental levels of zinc, somewhere around 30 milligrams, generally speaking, of a chelated form would also be very supportive for the, the prostate function. And then other herbal compounds that I've come across in my reading, uh, stinging nettle. So we used to actually forge for nettles in Washington when I was going to Bastyr University. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're actually all over the Midwest as well. I think yeah. there are some areas in Texas. Uh, I have not come across them. But uh, you definitely want to wear gloves because they do have tiny, tiny, tiny little hairs uh, that have uh, mild amounts of uh, neurotoxins. So you actually will lose the sensation in your fingertips if you're uh, forging them for a long period of time. And when the nettle is cooked, so we would use nettle in like frittatas or do uh, stinging nettle tea. Nettle is so favorable for iron regulation in the body. Um, I like to use it blended with oat pod um, as an infusion, which can be done, which can help with mood stability. And um, it has a lot of anti-inflammatory and anti-tumorigenic properties. We have also seen in some studies that nettle itself, because it's a diuretic, it can reduce that BPH or that enlarged prostate. So it actually helps with less of the urination in the evening. Uh, it also can help with reducing the frequency, but increasing the flow of urinary output. So it's a really nice, it's nice to consider a diuretic within your blend of supporting prostate health because that's gonna help to kind of wring out that sponge that's giving that trickle effect. And the nettle itself also has been shown to work with sex hormone binding globulin, which means that then testosterone should have a better ability to dock and actually be utilized as a hormone. So that could also help to improve sexual function, um, the nettle. And nettle, I've actually found a couple different compounds that include saw palmetto and stinging nettle and zinc into formulas. Um, you can use that as a herbal supplement as well. Um, somewhere between 300 to 1,000 milligrams. It's a very safe uh, herb, but this is one that I would definitely recommend trying to get as a dry matter and use as an infusion in a, in a tea as well. Awesome. And then you can eat it, like I said, too, kind of like as a superfood green, um, which is pretty cool. And then when we talk about zinc, um, I also tend to go towards like pepitas. Remember, though, that pumpkin seeds actually are dominant in copper uh, over zinc. Um, and so typically that isn't a big deal. And, but that is why I would go for red meat as your primary and oysters as your primary zinc sources, because especially if people are trying to up their zinc and they're eating like copious amounts, <laughs> like third cup of pepitas, that could, for people that have anxiety, throw off that copper to zinc ratio. But for people that don't deal with anxiety, pumpkin seeds have been shown to be very favorable because they also have those plant sterile stanol blends, which will help to regulate cholesterol. And remember, cholesterol is one of those steroid hormone building blocks that also helps to regulate our testosterone values. So nuts and seeds in general, but pumpkin seeds would be favorable. And I've come across pumpkin seed oil now in like a lot of these uh, newer uh, olive oil uh, stores, like there's one called Bomb Foss. Uh, there's a couple other kind of like boutique uh, foodie stores. Uh, Whole Foods now has a pumpkin seed oil blend and I made a really fun pesto with that. Um, but pumpkin seeds can help also as a little bit of a diuretic they can definitely help with that binding globulin as well as reducing the uh, enlargement of the prostate. 
and they can support the blood flow to the prostate gland itself. So that's always something that we look at in combination. And then lastly, if we're talking about inflammation, one of the best supplements that I would recommend would be our super turmeric because uh, turmeric has actually been shown in studies as a phyto compound, especially when paired with other detox supporting cruciferous vegetables. So we're always recommending to get your sulfur from like your cauliflower, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts. Those are going to help to offset estrogen dominance in the body because of the compounds called Eindol 3 carbonyls. So these sulfur-containing compounds from these cruciferous vegetables are going to help the body to detox that estrogen dominance. And then turmeric itself has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties and also can work as a vasodilator. It's actually been well-established in a multitude of studies to reduce prostate cancer tumor size. Um, so pretty awesome in its significant anti-tumorigenic effects. And uh, super turmeric is a really bioavailable dosage. So each capsule of ours um, has one gram of bioavailable turmeric in a blend of curcuminoid, which is the bioactive compound of, of turmeric. And uh, the way that it is encapsulated with turmeric oil and dried curcuminoids increases its availability to four to six times the potency of things that you can buy from other vendors. So even if you're taking like a, a Gaium or another brand at Whole Foods turmeric capsule and it has a thousand milligrams, which would be one gram, that still is only going to be a quarter to a sixth of the amount of potency of our gram of the super turmeric, which is in that higher availability for your system. Awesome. And I'll link to super turmeric as well as some of the other supplements and potentially find you guys a metal tea by the time this episode airs. Um, so all of that's really helpful. Um, let's talk about another common hormonal based issue potentially. Um, and I think this is one that a lot of men just accept as part of the aging process or it's genetic and there's nothing we can do about it. Let's talk about hair loss. Yes. So hair loss is very common. Uh, I believe the statistic was that by age 35, 66% of men experience some form of hair loss. And as they progressively age into their 50s, we're seeing this more at like 85 plus percent. And male pattern baldness is actually due to the testosterone sensitivity in the hair follicles. So when we're looking at testosterone, there is a form, um, the active form of testosterone called dihydroxy, dihydro, excuse me, no oxy, dihydrotestosterone. And this is what is the active form in the prostate gland. So there's testosterone and then DHT, which is its again active compound. So DHT actually on hair follicles has the ability to uh, reduce and shrink hair follicles and reduce their lifespan and also hinder hair production. So we actually can see that male pattern baldness or premature balding in men, when we were talking about premature, this usually means before age 35, that they tend to have hormonal profiles that are actually similar to like a woman with PCOS. So they're going to have that high testosterone value. They may also have high DHEA and they're going to have likely insulin resistance and low vitamin D status. 
So some things that I would think big picture as a first intervention for regulating male pattern baldness is to reduce your dependency on insulin and consider a ketogenic diet. So when you're eating less carbohydrates, you have less demand for insulin to help to bring the glucose down because you're not creating glucose spikes. Also practicing intermittent fasting can help with that regeneration because you're gonna get a twofold hit. You're gonna get less insulin signaling, less insulin activity. Uh, you're also going to be bringing down that DHEA as a metabolite in your ketone production. And uh, you're gonna enhance your binding so you'll have less of that active free testosterone to be damaging the follicles in the first place. Uh, so the fasting and keto as an approach would be very helpful for the male pattern baldness, and then consideration of vitamin D supplementation and making sure that your value is optimized at 50 to 100 versus the larger 30 to 100 range. Awesome, and then let's talk about some of the nutrients that might play a role with hair loss. I know that zinc will probably come up again, uh, but nutrients that can either prevent or slow hair loss in men. Yeah, so you know, beyond the vitamin D, uh, we'd be looking at, and, and when you're doing vitamin D, it's important to mention, and we'll make sure we put a link in our in the show notes to the vitamin D balance blend. You always want to take your vitamin D in conjunction with a K1, K2 compound. And that's really important because it works in a synergy as far as the body's ability to use vitamin D. Remember, vitamin D is the only nutrient that's actually a hormone. So it plays a big role with, like I said, insulin function. It plays a big role with our testosterone and estrogen balance in the body, and it can play a role with hypothyroidism. So getting optimized D starting at 5,000 IUs is a good base dosage, but you always want that mixed with about 550 or 500 micrograms of a K1, K2 blend because the vitamin K ensures that the body's able to use that vitamin D and it doesn't drive calcification or calcium deposits of the soft tissue. And that's what helps to prevent atherosclerotic plaque or plaque formation in the arteries, as well as uh, like kidney stones and bladder stones and things like that as well, which can be concerning with high vitamin D supplement on its own. So vitamin D would be the first thing I'd go to. And then yes, totally Becky, zinc would be another one. So like I mentioned, uh, the red meats. So grass-fed beef and bison, eating oysters, as I mentioned, mussels, anything that has its organelle intact is going to be a great rich source. And then a nice blend of nuts and seeds, because again, you're going to get the zinc and the minerals there, but you're also going to get in the nuts and seeds, those plant sterile stanols, which are going to help to metabolize that cholesterol to have favorable effects, both reducing heart disease risk, but also helping with hormonal regulation. And then another food that I'd really focus on that kind of stands close to the, the cholesterol conversation is eggs and egg yolks specifically. So egg yolks are rich in biotin. And biotin we think of as you know a, a cosmetic nutrient, if you will, for hair, skin, and nails. But definitely there is research that both zinc and biotin, when deficient, can drive hair loss. So make sure you're getting the full yolk of your eggs, and that's also going to give you more omega-3s. And that would be my fourth food recommendation would be to get an omega-3 fatty acid uh, and ensure you're getting wild-caught fish three times a week in your diet at about four to six ounce portions. And even if you are, I would strongly recommend and consider our EPA DHA extra supplement. So this is a omega-3 fatty acid 
And regardless of whatever brand you're using, you want about two grams in combination of EPA and DHA. I can't tell you how many people are supplementing with crappy fish oil for really insignificant dosages. Um, so when we look at it, they might be getting like 180 milligrams of EPA and 100 milligrams of DHA. Our EPA DHA extra has 860 EPA and 580 DHA in two capsules. So that would mean taking three capsules is gonna put you well beyond that two gram combination a day. And that's gonna help with reducing inflammation in the body. It's going to help with also allowing for vasodilation, which means that we'll get less of that stricture or a restriction of blood flow to the prostate, which means likely also helping to reduce that enlargement. Awesome. And I think that ties us in to heart health as well. And I know this is one that we get a lot of female clients worried about their husband's cholesterol numbers or yes. maybe our male clients who have just been put on a statin for family history and, and prevention, but they don't really know why they're on it. So let's talk a teensy-weensy bit about heart health. Sure. So yes, we do have an episode specifically on heart health. It's episode 40. And we'll put definitely a link in the show notes about, you know, cholesterol myths and facts. So for those of you that, that get my functional medicine philosophy, cholesterol, remember, actually has antioxidant-like properties. And cholesterol decline or too low of cholesterol values has a stronger correlation with dementia and early onset of Alzheimer's or cognitive decline than elevated cholesterol does with heart disease. So it's important that we look at this with the correct scope first and foremost. And you know, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in both men and women. Um, and we do want to be aggressive about regulating the, the risks of the disease, but cholesterol and even the National Institute of Health will state that 50% of people with heart attack or uh, a stroke have a cholesterol level within normal range. So we're chasing up the wrong fire. We need to get back to looking at for heart health, the driving cause being inflammation. So yes, that omega-3 fatty acid optimization is very important, the dosage I just recommended. And another thing that we think of for heart health is CoQ10. So CoQ10 is an antioxidant that fuels our mitochondria. And this is especially concerning for individuals that are on a statin drug because that statin drug blocks a pathway in the body called HMG-CoA reductase. And along that pathway, cholesterol is built. But you may recall from other rants I've had that we also will tend to have deficiency when we block a pathway and we shut a door. That means that there were other doors that were opened along that pathway. So cholesterol levels do go down with the statin drug which again, remember, may not necessarily be a good thing. But as cholesterol levels go down, we also see a decline of CoQ10. We see a decline of vitamin D. We see a decline of uh, minerals like zinc, copper, and magnesium. We see uh, higher prone towards myopathies or muscle wasting and, and aches, uh, which can interfere then with our testosterone. Because if a man isn't able to build and maintain muscle, then that often can drive erectile dysfunction and other side effects that the statin drugs can be a big, a big driver of. So uh, it's always important to first know your true cardiovascular risk. I'm a huge proponent of our cardiometabolic panel. 
it looks at lipoprotein particle size. So we want more of the large buoyant LDLs, which kind of bounce through, as I said, buoyant. The large LDLs bounce through our vessels, whereas the small dense LDLs are more prone towards oxidative damage and plaque formation. So actually having your particle size is much more relevant than just a total LDL count, which is an algorithm. We wanna know how many particles and what is the distribution of the size of them. And then too low of HDL can definitely be a big risk factor. So optimizing the HDL value, which is the broom to the vessels. And the way we optimize that is generally by increasing our saturated fats. Yes, moving our bodies more, but also optimizing our B vitamin status. Um, so a good quality B vitamin, especially one with niacin, is going to really help to bring up that, that HDL value. And then we like to look at other markers like LP little a, which looks at the stickiness factor of the blood. Uh, if LP little a is elevated, I put clients on my inflammazyme compound, which has proteolytic enzymes. So these are compounds that actually are, are botanical or plant-based that can break down tissue buildup in the body. And then finally, we also like to look at homocysteine and fasting insulin and a three-month average of blood sugar from a hemoglobin A1C. So those are the modifiable variables that we're looking at influencing by strategic nutrients. And if your spouse or partner is concerned about cholesterol and or they're on a statin or they've been told they need to take a statin, please do a qualitative panel that looks at all of those values to really understand true risk and address it from the root cause versus putting that statin in place and then creating that whack-a-mole of all of the declining symptoms that can occur. Yes, so you mentioned some of the concerns with statins being things like nutrient deficiency and even lowering testosterone. Let's just hammer that home with a couple of other maybe more surprising nutrients that statins can deplete. Um, and I also want to touch on baby aspirin just briefly, because I know a lot of guys are on that just as a, a general preventative and have been for years. Yeah, so I'm a much bigger fan. So the reason for baby aspirin is often because it's a blood thinner. And so the idea is, oh, just the 81 milligram isn't enough to, to do any harm. Um, but there is an association of concern as far as uh, GI bleed, uh, liver irritation, and also uh, cancer risk with long-term use of aspirin. Uh, I'm a much bigger fan of using something that has beneficial properties on top of thinning the blood, like the super turmeric or a fish oil. So using an omega-3 fatty acid or the turmeric, you're going to get that blood thinning and reduce that stickiness factor. And usually it's taken at bed because that's highest risk time for stroke because we're not moving the body. So uh, doing either of those in the evening time would be providing that support of thinning the blood as you sleep when the body is more stagnant and that prevents that aggregation or stickiness of the blood to clot per se while, while the body is at sleep yet you're gonna get a multitude of anti-inflammatory effects, support the liver in the sense of something like turmeric, um, and support the GI tract against inflammation when talking about both turmeric and or a quality EPA, DHA, omega-3. Um, so those would definitely be preferred. And then, um, yeah, so like I said, the side effects are quite broad as far as statin drug intervention, but 
they can deplete that CoQ10, which can drive chronic fatigue syndrome and the myopathies or the muscle wasting. We can see deficiency in vitamin D because that's that same steroid building pathway, which is also connected to why we might experience the myalgias or the muscle pain. But remember, vitamin D itself, as I just mentioned, has so many other influences on the thyroid and on sexual hormone balance and so forth. So we can also start to see influence on drops in testosterone. Uh, and we can see that getting more severe when zinc status declines. Uh, carnitine levels are also influenced by statins. And carnitine is uh, definitely something that helps with metabolism and, and weight loss, as well as muscle maintenance. So we use, in, for instance, our boost and burn is L-carnitine and ribose. And carnitine can help with chronic fatigue, can help to maintain muscle, and it can help the body to make ketones. So use of a statin drug can interfere with the metabolism, both the gain of muscle or maintenance of muscle, as well as the loss of body fat or the ability to use fat as fuel and, and make ketones. That can all be influenced. And then I think the biggest thing is that I haven't mentioned is maybe the antidepressant impact or, or the driver of depression. We can get impact on even our serotonin production and then um, testosterone taking that a step further towards even erectile dysfunction. So, you know, as cholesterol values come down because of that statin drug, that means that we're also declining our testosterone, our vitamin D, our CoQ10, our serotonin, our zinc, our carnitine. And like I said, that kind of whack-a-mole of seeing the other influences of, of imbalance. So definitely good to get on the lowest dosages possible. And if taking um, at all, be sure that you're mindful of the depletion pathways and supplementing to support that drug interaction that drives those deficiency trends. It's always so wild to me to think about, you know, we, we put you on a statin to lower your cholesterol, but then we might deplete all of these other nutrients that are potentially cardioprotective or are cardioprotective, like the CoQ10 and the carnitine that are needed nutrients for the heart. Right. I mean, one of the big side effects or symptoms of CoQ10 deficiency beyond the muscle aching and the chronic fatigue is arrhythmia. Uh -huh. So it's like, well, now you're, you know, you've been on your statin for a decade, but now you're dealing with arrhythmia. Um, you know, we've already written you a script for the antidepressant and we've already written you another script for the erectile dysfunction drug, but now let's throw this too. Uh, so definitely can, can be quite complex and uh, can, can weigh down on the system. Yes. And I will throw into the conversation, um, the micronutrient panel that we talk about all the time will assess for these deficiencies. So if you have been on a statin and want to kind of look at, okay, what's been the long-term damage, whether you're potentially weaning down or, or coming off of it altogether, or if you do plan to stay on that low dose, looking at what pathways might be blocked and how to strategically supplement for your body beyond just bringing in the vitamin D and the CoQ10 and maybe the carnitine. Absolutely. I think that's a great recommendation. Awesome. So let's get into um, a little bit around cognitive performance. I know we have a lot of um, executives and surgeons and attorneys that we work with. Um, so let's talk about cognitive performance and function and optimizing that for men, um, as well as mood stability. Sure. So let's go back into that conversation of cholesterol levels when they decline, right, driving 
cognitive decline, right? So mm -hmm. when we're talking about this, we're all we're talking about steroid hormones, and I'm super excited in our next episode uh, with Dr. Stephen Chernisky. And I'm sorry, he's not even a doctor; he's a biochemist, but he might as well be one. Yeah, <laughs> I would see him as my doctor. But uh, Stephen Chernisky, we're going to do an entire episode on DHEA, and so DHEA is a is a steroid hormone. And again, when we block cholesterol, cholesterol makes pregnenolone. And pregnenolone has influence to then produce DHEA as well as progesterone. We have seen with prostate enlargement and also prostate cancer, progesterone deficiency. And I didn't mention estrogen dominance but we tend to also see progesterone deficiency. So progesterone is very protective for men and men's health, as well as we talk a lot about the benefits of progesterone for women. Progesterone is something, and, and there's an optimal relationship for men on their estrogen to progesterone relationship as well. So when we block cholesterol, we don't get enough steroid hormone activity. So pregnenolone can make DHEA, and DHEA can then convert into testosterone. Uh, DHEA can also convert into estrogen or testosterone itself can convert into estrogen or it can convert into that DHT active form of testosterone. So for most men, they're going to be turning their testosterone into DHT. Um, there is a, a process called aromatization where the individual can aromatase or convert their testosterone into estrogen. And so one of the big uh, ways that we can modulate that is by taking aromatase inhibitors or compounds that block that conversion. And we'll, we'll speak a little bit to estrogen dominance when we talk about metabolism later uh, today. But pregnenolone itself as this steroid hormone plays a huge role with cognitive function. So it has antioxidant-like properties. It has the ability to regulate cognition. Uh, it can play a role with both brain fog and difficulty concentrating. When too low, we tend to have a kind of balloon head or difficulty with memory, thought process. Uh, pregnenolone can protect our nerve cells and stimulate our neuron activity. And as Stephen shares with us on DHEA, which is made from pregnenolone, DHEA itself is functioning as like a stem cell in the brain. And so there's so much anti-aging benefits from cholesterol, which again makes pregnenolone, and then pregnenolone makes DHEA and testosterone. So ensuring that we have ample cholesterol and ample steroid hormones is something to consider. And this tends to then come into a focus of our adrenal health. So when we're talking about the adrenals, these are our primary stress responding glands. And for an individual that's under high stress demand, their production of cortisol and DHEA, those are the two main steroids of the adrenals, those start to decline with age and stress demand. So often those are two of the first things that we would think of supplementing and supporting is giving that gentleman a adrenal compound like our adrenal support, which is a glandular compound, which is going to help to provide uh, the output of cortisol and DHEA and then potentially also giving them actually DHEA as a compound to help to provide that cognitive function. And uh, within that world, we also want to think what modulates or reduces the stress demand. So giving the adrenal support and the DHEA is going to help to perform 
on a cognitive executive level, but we also need to reduce the fire or the alarm mechanisms. So that's where I start to think first and foremost to adaptogens. So adaptogens can help us to adapt to stress demand without becoming depleted, and they can help us to have a natural vigor and energy. And some adaptogens like rhodiola and ginseng are actually also shown to support vasodilation or blood flow. So this can help with libido. Um, this can help with stress response and uh, carrying neurotransmitters to the tissues where they need to be in a time of stress. And this also can even help with the connection of something like erectile dysfunction. Um, so our adaptogen boost has that panix ginseng, cordyceps, and rhodiola in a really nice synergy. And that's going to help with both the mental stress performance as well as the impact physiologically that stress tends to, to beat down in the body and then create that deficiency of those, those sexual hormone drivers. So it will prevent the depletion pathways, if you will. Awesome. And then let's speak a little bit to a couple of other tools um, that could be used during times of maybe acute stress, like the GABA calm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, if you're dealing with stress to the level of irritability um, or like a white knuckle effect or anxiety, uh, tightness in the chest, difficulty concentrating, that's where something like GABA can definitely be supportive. And in fact, this does play a role with, with dopamine output. We see that GABA, when it becomes optimized, can enhance learning and memory. And it also helps with our acetylcholine, which is really kind of the conductor of our neurotransmitter signaling. So I love our GABA that comes in a chewable form for executive functioning. Like I take this before public speaking. I take this before <laughs> going to any class with Stella when I have to be like, <laughs> Uh, I, I get a little bit type A, like, why isn't my child performing? Why isn't she listening? And so to help me to reduce that anticipatory stress response, I use a GABA calm, and that allows me to really see her as a creative, beautiful child um, that's just expressing herself at the own beat of her drummer. Mm -hmm. um, so for the father that's driving home from a long day at the office and ruminating about the, the meetings that occurred and wants to transition into present father mode, you know, and not feel irritable, a GABA calm chew could be a great tool in that transition. Um, or coming home and communicating with your spouse or partner. And then along those lines, so I think of GABACOM as more of an acute acting formula per stimulation. And then the calm and clear itself is a good baseline formula. And the calm and clear has a nice blend of both nervines and adaptogens. So you're going to get the adaptogen support for that energy stimulation boost. Um, but you're going to also get the nervine of things like oat pod and um, compounds that help us to relax and protect our nervous system from too much stress output. And then there is a good complex of B vitamins in there and L-theanine, which helps as a modulator for our stress signaling and also helps to create that alpha brainwave activity. So food-wise, I would recommend looking at matcha as a great tool here because matcha is going to be the richest form of L-theanine. And I would, I would recommend plant pairing that, excuse me, with saturated fat, like maybe MCT in coconut oil. We have an awesome matcha latte recipe that we'll put in our show notes. This pairs grass-fed butter or ghee with uh, coconut oil and matcha. So you're getting the high fat 
and cholesterol to help to give you that pregnenolone boost. And um, you're getting that, that matcha compound for the anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and L-theanine brain-supporting compound. And if you feel like you are dealing with fight or flight mode on a chronic level, or you're feeling like you're being dragged by you know, the stress vehicle of your body and, and really dealing with chronic fatigue, I would highly recommend the neurohormone panel for men, which would look at your output of cortisol and DHEA so that you could know clinically you know, what the right dosage is um, and for how long to use those stimulants. And then also look into, especially if dealing with sexual function issues or testosterone function issues, looking into the estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone relationship is going to be really important as well. That panel's really helpful versus shooting in the dark with a whole bunch of different supplements that may or may not be appropriate. But I will say the common clear nine times out of 10 makes the cut. So if you start with one, it might be that. (laughs) And I will tell you, my husband, I can tell in a heartbeat, like he gets edgy and I'll be like, have you taken your calm and clear? And he'll look at me and be like, no, I didn't refill it. And I'm like, dude, you package everyone's supplement orders, package yourself some, <laughs> go right. and take your calm and clear. <laughs> uh, and I find that uh, calm and clear and then his occasional gabacom, he's like a type A high strung uh, animal. So he doesn't need as much of the adaptogen stuff. He needs the calm and clear and the gabacom and then uh, CBD oil. That's kind of his trifecta, yeah. finding his mellow. And it makes for a healthy, harmonious household. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, okay. What about, like, speaking of stress, let's talk a little bit more about uh, cortisol as our main stress responding hormone and the influence of cortisol on both metabolism and also on testosterone expression. Yeah. So stress is the biggest libido buzzkill. And we talked a little bit about this in episode 71 when we talked about aphrodisiac, but when we're under high stress, so it can be again, predominantly mental or emotional stress, the body goes into that fight or flight mode. And if we are in rush hour or we're in a meeting and we're not actually battling a tiger or whatever it is, running from a dinosaur, I guess, we don't need that high surge survival mechanism. And the issue is if we're dealing with anxiety or a high stress environment, the negative feedback of cortisol does not respond to our feedback loop. So our HPA access continues to stimulate cortisol production. So in a balanced regulatory function, cortisol itself is supposed to say, okay, okay, pituitary, you can start focusing on other things like oxytocin and thyroid stimulating hormone. You don't have to just continue to shunt all of your energy towards stimulating the adrenals. Um, But in an individual that's under chronic stress or mismanaged reactive mode of adrenal output, they're going to continue to perpetuate those cortisol signals. And over time, that drives dysglycemia or blood sugar irregularities, which can drive insulin resistance. And this can also drive body fat accumulation because higher insulin, insulin likes to store fat. So when the individual is under high stress, their blood sugar goes up, they start to release more insulin. And that's an anabolic hormone that says store, store, store fat. And remember that body fat itself, those fat cells actually function as estrogenic tissue. 
So as that man starts to build more body fat, especially around the abdomen, then they're going to create more estrogen dominance, which means less expression of testosterone. So that throws off that balance of the male hormone expression, if you will. And cortisol itself also interferes with muscle maintenance. So cortisol can actually deplete muscle in the body, and that is the secondary tissue for testosterone production. So that's the second way. So the first way is cortisol drives belly fat. That hinders testosterone and, and throws down libido. Second is cortisol interferes with muscle gain. That means that we're not maintaining musculature mass, and that's driving down testosterone. And then the third thing is the whole function of that pregnenolone steel when under stress, we're taking that steroid builder, and rather than making DHEA and testosterone, we're converting all of that to cortisol to only create and perpetuate those first two issues. So it's a huge, vicious cycle, if you will, <laughs> if you're trapped in any part or all three of those scenarios, for sure. Yes, uh, yes. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the estrogen component uh, yes. and maybe some of the nutrients that we consider aromatase inhibitors. Yes. Uh, so, yes. So, you know, I mentioned there's that process called aromatization, and that's where the testosterone values convert or aromatase into estrogen. And so having body fat or higher amounts of body fat are going to be the, the first kind of risk factor for that. And that's where I call it like the basketball belly on the man. So there are plant-based compounds that can actually inhibit or block that conversion pathway. The first one we think of is I3Cs and DIM. So Eindol-3-Carbonyl is in your cruciferous vegetables. So this is the sulfur-based compounds in your broccoli, your cauliflower, your cabbage, your Brussels sprouts. There is a formula that, that we use um, by Designs for Health called Protect, which has a lot of I3C compounds. And then if we know that the gentleman uh, is dealing with estrogen dominance, I likely will even bring in DIM, which is going to be more fat-soluble and a little bit more efficacious or effective. And especially if this person is looking at weight loss. So if this guy is gonna start to go low carb, high fat, and start to do a ketogenic diet, we definitely would want to consider bringing in DIM. And let's put a, a link to that in the show notes too. Um, DIM supplementation would be extremely important if you are losing fat as fuel in a keto diet or just losing 10% you know, of your body weight um, with weight loss because you're creating more estrogenic circulating tissue with the fat loss. So really important to uh, excrete those estrogenic compounds as you lose the weight to make a more sustainable change and to help to balance sexual hormone function. So those kind of, you could think of I3Cs and DIM as a way to kind of block the conversion of estrogen to testosterone, as well as clean up the excess estrogen that's in the body. And then when we're thinking of kind of cleaning up and like soaping up excess like a sponge, fiber is a great thing to consider as well. So both soluble and insoluble fiber would be super helpful. I like to recommend 35 grams a day. Um, and so I have a great blend called Phytofiber, which uses all plant-based high antioxidant soluble and insoluble fiber uh, blend. And um, this is going to help to reduce the estrogenic activity in the body, 
and also, of course, regulate bowels. Um, but soluble fiber, we can think of from like our chia seed, our, uh, our, our soluble fiber pectin-rich produce like apples, pears, pumpkin, and then flax seeds are also gummy soluble fiber. And those are kind of the, the gels. And then the insoluble are more of like the brooms. And these are going to also help to reduce those xenoestrogens or those synthetic-based estrogens that are found in our plastic water bottles. It's going to block the external estrogen absorption. So as we're exposed to those throughout our environment, in our food packaging, um, as I mentioned, even the receipt paper and what have you, uh, using the high fiber is going to play a role with binding that exposure so that it's not able to impact us on a cellular level. So these are like why I always recommend getting two to three cups of leafy greens every single day. You're going to get great insoluble fiber from kale and rainbow chard and even things like spinach and blends of lettuces, asparagus raspberry, and then your nuts and seeds, almonds, those pumpkin seeds and such, all really great for that insoluble fiber to protect the system. Awesome. And then I think focusing on um, detox, and I'll link to our episode a few back now on um, the importance of detox and keto, because yes. we speak a lot more to uh, that influence of fat loss on our circulating estrogen and how we might need some support for uh, getting that out of the body or excreting. Yes. In our ultimate detox yes. uh, supplement, yeah. the compound in there is called calcium D-gluconerate. And that's been shown to help to detox estrogenic tissue in the colon, um, as well as circulating estrogens in the body. And so that's really fabulous as well. And that comes paired with all sulfur-containing compounds, which helps in that encapsulation and excretion. So absolutely. And then the last two things I'd mention on just this aromatization process. So zinc, I think we've hit hard. So you know, get all of your men on zinc, truly. It's, it's a great one for reducing the estrogen expression, helping with hair um, maintenance, and also helping with the expression and utilization of testosterone, uh, which means in, enhanced sexual function. And even can help, as I mentioned, with it being a natural anti-anxiety, it can help with then that stress response, depth of sleep. Uh, so, so many benefits there. And, and that is a known estrogen metabolizer or, or a tool to help that process of aromatization, reducing that action. And then the last thing I'll mention is Kristen. This actually has some, some really valuable uh, studies based on it. And this is the, the flavonoid found in honey. And so when you're looking at honey, you always want to look at a raw, unfiltered, um, and that's where you're going to get more of the plant-based compounds. And there is, within that crystallization that occurs with raw, unfiltered honey, a pretty significant influence on the ability of estrogen trap and preventing that conversion. And you can also get this in bee pollen. So if you're doing a ketogenic diet and you didn't want to have the carbs of a raw and filtered honey, you can use bee pollen in your protein shakes, like a teaspoon, um, a couple times a week, and that'd be a really great source of the chrysin. And then it is in some herbs, so it's actually in uh, passionflower uh, and also in some compounds that are in the nervine blend in the calm and clear. So if you're taking that for the stress modulation, you're also going to get that influence to help to detox the estrogen. Awesome. And then let's transition since we hit libido and testosterone. Let's talk a little bit 
about erectile function. Um, we don't want to leave this out of this episode for sure. And, and this is really quite common. And again, just not talked about enough. Um, estimated about 30 million men in the U.S. dealing with erectile dysfunction. So let's get into a couple of nutrients that could be helpful in this case. Yes. So I think the driving cause is, like I said, definitely connected to stress. So that whole cortisol cascade that I mentioned again is a big driver of erectile dysfunction. And because the body, when the body goes into fight or flight mode and it's not getting that react, it's not getting that regulatory balance and it's in that reactive mode that suppresses again in the pituitary things like our HGH, right? So if we're not making our human growth hormone and we're not getting that um, corticotropin uh, gonadal hormone release from the hypothalamus, we are suppressing sexual function under stress. So that's so, so, so important to mention. And, you know, that would be my first line of intervention is getting going on quality adaptogens and helping to ensure that this individual is sleeping and feeling and, and channeling as mellow as possible. Um, and so that's a really important piece of the puzzle. And then I think, like I said, the second one is the estrogenic influence in our society and environment um, as far as how the plastic influence in our food system is driving everything to have estrogenic activity. So once you hit those two, then there's erectile dysfunction that just might be primary or maybe secondary from those influences, but what can help basically with driving an erection? So if you're managing stress and you're managing estrogen dominance, then we think of what are things that create blood flow is really the biggest thing. And, and so that's when we start to look at uh, arginine, and niacin as, as two big uh, studied compounds as vasodilators. So arginine is an amino acid and that's taken been taken for a long time with like weightlifting because that helps with uh, that nitric oxide activity in the body and that can help specifically. Nitric oxide creates vasodilation, blood flow, circulation, and that can of course then make a firm erect <laughs> like I, was, I don't know where I was going with that. It wasn't getting good. Um, that can make a more firm erection and that can also um, play a role with blood pressure and, um, you know, be an anti-inflammatory agent. And then niacin, I mentioned actually earlier when we were talking about uh, HDL levels as being a favorable tool to help to bring up that, that uh, beneficial compound, that broom of our blood vessels. And niacin is also a vasodilator. It, it enhances blood flow. There was a study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine that found uh, men with erectile dysfunction that took 1,500 milligrams for a 12-week period of time did see an improvement in both erectile function and dyslipidemia. So favorable outcomes on their cholesterol and their erectile function. So ensuring first and foremost that you're on a good quality multivitamin that has methylated Bs and a good bioactive form. And then if you're taking niacin above 500 milligrams, you'd want to um, consider the non-flush form or definitely take it in the evening and know that it could cause flushing in the system, um, meaning like redness or warmth um, in the face. And so that could interfere with sleep quality. So just being mindful of that and definitely not to combine that with um, alcohol, which could, could exacerbate that, that side effect. Yes, that's a big one for sure. Um, let's talk about just a couple of the common um, drugs that are used. I know of Cialis and Viagra off the top of my head, um, their function and 
potential side effects when used long-term? Sure. So they work to basically inhibit the tissue that can support relaxation and opening of, of the penis. And so they allow blood flow again. The concern is, as you hear with, with the commercials, right. an erection that will not dissipate after five hours or whatnot. Um, so they can play a role with blood pressure regulation. Um, there's concern of heart attack for excessive activity, uh, stroke, hypotension or too low of blood pressure because of that over vasodilation. And then there is some significant side effect concerns with things like hearing and vision loss and uh, GI and, and urinary output, as well as having a negative impact on the ability to ejaculate. So that's kind of the point of, of taking those drugs. So I would say, you know, going back, as always, we say to the root causes would be the best versus you know, using one of those modifiables. Awesome. And then let's wrap up this episode and we'll keep it super brief because we're certainly not the experts on this topic. Um, but one thing I see so often is our guys taking things like, I don't know, muscle milk and casein shakes and all of these body, I don't even know what's in them, bodybuilding supplements and creatine. Um, we're not sports dietitians. We're not bodybuilders. And I'm sure we're going to have, um, Drew on the podcast. I'm blanking on his last name. Manning. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Who might have more insight into some of this. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so we might we might get more insight there, but just very briefly, what's your thoughts on exercise and athletic performance? Sure. So general? you know, good, good quality antioxidants are always important. We tend to see deficiency trends of things like glutathione and lipoic acid and CoQ10 because sports output is an oxidative stressor, right? So having a good blend of antioxidants would be really helpful. Again, not to harp too hard, but super turmeric would be a great source because it's a very bioactive, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant-rich compound, which we have kind of a, a foot in many legs of our discussion today. But uh, supporting antioxidant status is huge. Then I look at, are you getting enough protein in general? You know, so we're looking at, I would always recommend like a non-denatured grass-fed whey. Whey is the most biologically available form of amino acids. And so you're going to get those branch chain amino acids. You're going to get um, good absorption through the gut to be able to use that to support the lean body mass and um, ensure that you're eating enough protein in general. And then within that glutamine, we see which glutamine gets depleted by stress um, and can also drive food sensitivities and leaky gut. That's why we love the bone broth as a tool for a food source and gelatin. Um, so those would be great food forms because glutamine depletion, we see a symptom of sore muscles and lack of muscle maintenance um, and inability to gain muscle. So uh, considering if, if you also have GI distress, maybe like the GI lining support powder um, and at least looking at bone broth as a ritual and the gelatin recipes. And then what I like to recommend, I don't like to recommend branch chain amino acids because especially for those of you that are doing something more keto, um, you know, branch chain amino acids themselves can drive insulin activity, which that's one of the ideas is you want to go anabolic to gain muscle. 
but this can interfere with your use of fat as fuel. And when you're in a ketogenic state, which would be the optimal for making body composition change, I mean, look at like <laughs> Danny Vega. Um, there's so many just ripped dudes um, that are in the keto sphere that use a high fat, moderate protein. So it's not about chasing protein for muscle maintenance. I just want to say that very clearly. Um, but if you're looking to use keto as a tool, I definitely advise against the um, branch chain amino acids, and I'd be more of a proponent of carnitine. So uh, carnitine, like in our boost and burn, this helps to drive that carnitine shuttle, which drives the use of fat as fuel, helps with production of ketones, and definitely can work with uh, pre-workout energy support um, and, and be a functional fat burner for the system. Awesome. And our next virtual keto program we've just decided is opening up September 7th. So if that, yes. if that is something that's piqued your interest, I will link to that in the show notes as well. We've gotten a lot of topics covered today and hopefully our male listeners are feeling like their needs are a little bit more met at this point. And we love you too. Yes. We hear you. <laughs> so if this episode speaks to you or if there's a dude in your life that could benefit from some of this information, please, please, please share our podcast and also hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with just a couple of sentences about why you love it. Um, and we will be back next time. And next episode, men and women, listen up. We will be talking about DHEA, which is one of those steroid hormone builders that I've alluded to a lot today and how uh, Stephen calls it the fountain of youth. So it's an awesome episode and we look forward for you guys to join us next time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.